Hey, good morning, Crosstown. My name is Levi, and I serve as the campus pastor here in Greece. So good to be here today. If you're joining us online or from one of our four other campuses today, Merry Christmas. I think it's been enough time now, and we're past Thanksgiving. We're headed into December. Merry Christmas. I don't know if you're excited about Christmas. I am definitely excited about Christmas. One of the things I am excited about is our new message series this morning. We're going to kick off our new message series called Light of the World. The Light of the World, which is a a little bit ironic, I know, because as we get closer and closer to Christmas, the days are literally getting darker and darker. As we get closer to the winter solstice, which is really the shortest day of the year, the days are getting darker and darker. And I don't know how you are handling it. Maybe you're taking a whole bunch of vitamin D pills or, or maybe you're, you're sitting under one of those UV lamps all day or maybe you're just trying not to cry on your way home from work when it's pitch black outside. I know a lot of you are very disappointed about the lack of sunlight this season, but there is hope. There is a silver lining. And here it is, ready? Christmas lights. Christmas lights. I love Christmas lights. One of our family's favorite holiday traditions is to load up the car, um, get a whole bunch of hot cocoa, turn on the Christmas music, and just drive around Greece looking at all the awesome Christmas lights. And there's some really good ones, like the ones where you tune your radio and it coordinates with the music, and so, so awesome. But here's the thing about Christmas lights. They're never on during the day. So if you drive around on a Saturday afternoon, you're not going to see any Christmas lights. And the reason is because you don't put them on during the day because you can't see them. Because everyone knows this, that light always shines better in the dark. Light shines better in the dark. So as the days get darker, we have a reason to celebrate. We have hope that light will shine in dark places. So this Christmas season, we're not just celebrating Christmas lights. In fact, if you never put up a single Christmas light this year, you can still celebrate Christmas because it's not about the Christmas lights. It's about the light of the world. That is Jesus who has come to shine light in dark places. Jesus says in John 8, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, You don't need to look very hard to see that there are some dark places in the world. You see it in sickness. You see it in suffering. You see it through the loss of a loved one or a broken marriage or the hatred of other people. Like there's there's tons and tons of darkness all around the world. But we have hope that the light of the world has come to shine light in those dark places. So today my message is called Light Up the Dark. So would you join me as we discover how Jesus has come to shine the light? Hey, here's the thing about Christmas. It really is, it's not just a day, it's a season of anticipation and expectation. It's not just one day of Christmas, it's 25 days of Christmas. We don't just wake up on Christmas morning and, and start making cookies and, and we go out and we buy all of our gifts and we start listening to Christmas music and we put up the tree and all that. We don't do that on one day, we do that on the weeks and some of you even months leading up to Christmas because it's a season of anticipation and expectation. So part of celebrating Christmas Day is preparing for it in the days leading up to it. So today, we're going to be spending some time hearing about the events leading up to the first Christmas. And one of those events is the announcement of the birth of a baby. 
not Jesus, but his cousin, John. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. And this series is really going to serve as an epilogue to the next series in the new year as we go through the whole gospel of Luke. So through the month of December, we're going to be in Luke 1 and 2, and then we'll pick it off back in Luke chapter 3 in January. And so as a way of just saying thank you for coming, um, all of our first-time guests, you guys are going to get a first-time guest bag with a Gospel of Luke scripture journal in it. And these are really, really cool. They have the text on one side, and then on the right-hand side, they have a great place to take notes as well. We want to give you these as a gift for saying thanks for coming, but also just as a way to encourage you to come back, because next week, we're going to be in Luke, and the week after that, we're going to be in Luke, and the week after that, we're going to be in Luke, and you'll be prepared and ready to go. For anyone who calls Crosstown home at all of our locations, right out in the foyer, you can buy these. Uh, for six bucks, and you can use this as a companion for the next sermon series. This would be a really good um, just way to engage and take notes all throughout the next series. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says this. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So, here we have a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And they were people of faith. They were good people who worshipped God, and although they had been praying for a son for many years, they still had no child. And now they were advanced in years, which is really just a nice way, a polite way of saying they were old, right? They were old people and they had no children. So by all respects, they were good people experiencing some really dark times. Now, twice a year for a week at a time, Zechariah was expected to go to the temple in Jerusalem and fulfill his priestly roles and duties. And on this particular tour of duty, he had the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to offer the incense on the altar of incense. He would go into the temple. Now, this wasn't something that happened all the time. Like I said, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and he was able to go into the temple and burn the incense. And while he was burning the incense, an angel appeared to him, and this is what he said. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn, the, turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And they will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So just to recap what's just happened, an angel shows up and tells Zechariah that his prayer is heard. And the answer is yes. And this is what the angel says about John. The people will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before the Lord. 
and he'll be filled with the Spirit, even in a miraculous way before he's even born. And his role will be to cause people to turn back to God in the same way that Elijah had a ministry that turned people's hearts back to God. So also that John would prepare people for God. Now, in the coming verses, Zechariah asks for a sign, and he doubts the angel. He's thinking, I'm so old, my wife is so old, how is this even going to be a possibility? And the angel then says this, he says, I'm, I'm Gabriel, and I was sent by God to give you this news. He then says, because, uh, because you doubted and you asked for a sign, the sign's going to be that you won't be able to speak until your son is born. Then in verse 22, he comes out of the temple, and we pick up the story again. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that, they had, that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Now, it would be really easy to look at this story and think, well, this is just another story in the Bible about some people. It'd be another story about Zechariah, a story about Elizabeth, a story about John. And you'd be right, it is a story about them, but it's a story that's a lot like other stories in the Bible that points to Jesus. It points to Jesus. In the same way that when we celebrate the season of Christmas and the days leading up to it, those days aren't really that as significant so much as they are significant and they point to Christmas Day. So these events leading up to it point to the very first Christmas. So, I'd like to share with you three characteristics of the light of the world. Three characteristics about Jesus that is the light of the world. And the first one is this. The light reveals hope. The light reveals hope. You've heard it said this way, that, that there's a, a light, right, at the end of the tunnel. Well, what does that mean? Uh, it, it means that there's a dark road ahead, but you can have hope knowing that there is a light ahead of you. There's something that, that makes the darkness bearable for now. It's the hope that allows us to press on. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were good people, and they had prayed so hard for a baby. And for years, they dealt with the darkness and disappointment of an unanswered prayer. And it would have been a lot easier for, to let that unanswered prayer be the reason that they stopped following the Lord, right? To look, with, look at God with a sense of entitlement, thinking, well, God, we follow you, we keep your commandments, we always have tried to please you with our lives, and we just want one thing. We just want a baby. Is that so hard? Sometimes the darkness really comes from an unanswered prayer. Sometimes, the darkness comes from the loss of a loved one. God, how could you take my husband, my wife, my daughter, my son, my grandparent from me so soon? Oftentimes, it's the loss of a loved one. Sometimes, it's 
the desire for a relationship that hasn't happened. Maybe you've been praying that God would send you the right person, and he just hasn't sent the right person yet. Maybe it's the constant prayer for a child to return back to the Lord. I know so many of you who have been praying fervent prayers for your kids to come back to the Lord. There are so many dark things in life that really give us a sense of hopelessness, of not wanting to continue. But here's the thing about hope. Hope isn't just something that you have or don't have. Hope is something that you have to, you have to put it into something else. You have to put it into something, and, and you could put it into something that is fleeting and fading and shaky and insecure, or you can put it in something that is rock solid, that will never fade away. Psalm 33, 20 through 22 in the NLT says it this way, We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth's hope wasn't in the birth of their own son. It wasn't in the promise of bearing a child or getting what they most wanted. It was placed in a faithful God despite difficult circumstances. Their hope was in a faithful God who promised a coming king. The light at the end of the tunnel was not John. The light at the end of the tunnel was the light of the world. That is Jesus Christ. So church, let's not let the darkness determine our devotion. If we put our hope in the things of the world, that'll be here one day and then they're gone the next, it's a light at the end of the tunnel that can be easily extinguished. We need to put our hope in the light that doesn't ever fade away, in the one who will never let us down or disappoint. It's the only way that we're going to be able to navigate dark roads ahead. And believe me, you will have dark roads ahead. Secondly, that light does is the light is truth. The light is truth. Here's what I mean. I think everyone can relate to trying to navigate a room in the dark. And maybe some of you have some stub toes to prove it. <laughs> Every so often, I try to cut from my office to the foyer, and I try to cut through the sanctuary, and in the middle uh, of the work week, it's dark. It's pitch black in here, and I've got some stub toes to prove it. See, what happens is I try to make sense of my surroundings, but I don't really know where things are because it's dark. See, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of the room, but I don't see the room as it really is. I guess I make my own judgments on how things are laid out in the room, and sometimes I'm right, and sometimes I'm wrong. And when I'm wrong, I pay the price. Navigating life is no different than navigating a room. You need light to see things properly, to see the truth, to see things the way they really are. Now, the days of Elizabeth and Zechariah were days of darkness. They were days where truth was in short supply. See, back then, truth came from a prophet. When the world seemed to be doing its own thing, doing what was right in its own eyes, a prophet would emerge. And the prophet would declare a message, a bold, truth-filled message for God's people. To say, hey, stop wandering around in the dark trying to do your own thing. Turn from that thing and turn towards God. 
Turn from that and turn towards God. But here's the problem. The problem is there wasn't any prophet in the land. As a matter of fact, the period of time from the last prophet in the book of Malachi to today, where we're talking about the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, it had been 400 years. 400 years. Traditionally, in Jewish culture, it's known as the 400 years of silence. Because it was known as a time where God wasn't sending any prophets and he wasn't speaking through any prophets. Not a lot of truth being declared for generations and generations. What that leads to is people wandering away from God in the dark. So herein lies the significance of John. The angel says that John's job is going to be a lot like those Old Testament prophets. Just like Elijah He will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. And his job was going to be to turn people's hearts back to God and get them ready for Jesus. See, John's job was to boldly declare the truth so people would be able to navigate life with God better. To literally point people to the light of the world. To say to people wandering around in darkness, Turn from that. Turn, stop bumping into stuff. Stop trying to make up your own way and turn from that and turn back towards God. And I got to say, church, the darkness of that time is not unlike the darkness of our time. Where the adage boldly proclaimed today is live your truth. Right? Truth is not an objective thing, but it's subjective. It's up for interpretation. What's true for you might not be true for me. And the only one that can really determine what is really true is me. Truth doesn't come from an external source. It comes from within my own heart and my own moral compass. Doing life in this way is problematic. Because the problem with that line of thinking is that it implies that everyone's moral compass is right. That the highest moral code is simply to just be true to yourself. The problem is that the curse of sin from the very beginning has infected our moral compass. So when we try to do what is right, sometimes it's not that right. We have desires that are not good. They're distorted desires that are out of line with what God's best is for us. We're not able to navigate life with God really that well because... We're left to our own thinking and our own heart. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, its way is to death. Right? We're trying to navigate in the dark. It seems right, but, but we're going like, to knock into stuff. We're going to bump into stuff. If you try to navigate in the dark, sometimes you might just fall off a cliff. Church, we need to allow God to shine brightly in our hearts to discern the truth, and to allow us to navigate life with God well. In the Old Testament, God used prophets to declare the truth to his people. And today, we have the completed scriptures. We've got the Bible that serves as a roadmap for us. We don't have to wonder which way to go, which way's left, which way's right, which way's wrong. No, we have the scriptures. Not only do we have the scriptures, but we have the Holy Spirit who comes and helps us to illuminate the word as we read it. We have direction and discernment that comes from God. Psalm 119, 103 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
So we're not left in the dark as to what is right and wrong, true or false. We can navigate the road ahead well. And lastly, the last thing the light does is the light gives life. The light gives life. Everyone knows, even from elementary school, the connection between light and life. All living things need light. You know this. If you have a houseplant, you know this. If, if your houseplant doesn't have enough sunlight, what does it do? It shrivels up and it dies. Woven into the fabric of creation is this connection between light and life. Jesus says in John 1, 4 through 8, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So not only do we celebrate Jesus as the light of the world, we also look to him who gives life. See, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a story of light and life. The story of a couple who are advanced in years, unable to bear children. And as the day go, days go by, it really seems more and more unlikely that God would give them a child. But God steps into their story. And he fulfills the prayer that they have been praying so fervently for. And he gives them a baby. He gives life where there was supposed to be no life. A womb that had no life now held the life of one of the most significant people in human history. What a miraculous display of the giver of life. But God is not only a giver of physical life. Because if we look at Elizabeth, when she says this, the very last part of this text, she says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. Elizabeth was dealing with a reproach. The NIV calls it a disgrace. It is the word reproach literally means a disapproval or a disappointment. Meaning in that day, Elizabeth experienced a lot of disapproval and a lot of disappointment from the people around us because in a day and time when kids were very highly valued, it, it, was, it, was, it was kind of an embarrassment for Elizabeth to not have a child. And God takes away this disgrace and this embarrassment for her. Now, I want to be clear that Elizabeth's infertility wasn't a punishment for her because she was a bad person. It says she was upright. She was righteous in the sight of God. She obeyed God. So she was a good person that just was really experiencing some dark things. Also that God's purpose and plan would be on full display in her life. Elizabeth has a reproach. But church, we also deal with a reproach. And it's much bigger of a reproach than Elizabeth faced. See, we have the reproach from God because of our sin, our shortcomings, our mistakes, the darkness in our own heart and soul. We deal with this disgrace. The Bible literally says this, says that we were dead. Ephesians 2.5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So as we celebrate this Christmas season, we don't just celebrate the life inside of Elizabeth, but we celebrate the life that comes from the light of the world. 
that as we once walked in darkness and in death, Jesus came that we would have eternal life with him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Not just physical life, but eternal spiritual life with God the Father. And that's something to celebrate. Church, there's so many ways to prepare for Christmas. You put up the tree, you decorate the house, maybe you make some cookies, maybe you listen to Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You for a million times on repeat. (laughs) You watch the movie marathons, all the stuff, you buy the gifts. And I don't take issue with any one of those things, but there's so many preparations that we make that really have nothing to do with Jesus. They've got nothing to do with the real reason for the season. So, in the same spirit of John the Baptist, I want to ask you a simple question. What are you doing to prepare the way for the light of the world this Christmas? What are you doing to prepare the way for the light of the world this season? I'd love to give you two practical ways that you can prepare this season and maybe reclaim the meaning of Christmas in the coming weeks. The first one is this, to prepare your heart, to prepare your heart. There's the familiar Christmas carol. We, we sang it here in Greece earlier this morning, Joy to the World. And it says this, Let every heart prepare him room. Maybe this season you need to prepare room in your own heart for Jesus. Maybe you found yourself in a season of darkness. Maybe some things have happened in your life that have caused you to lose the hope. Lose that, that, that the light at the end of the tunnel is distinguished because it was in the wrong place. Maybe some things have happened in your life that have caused you to wander away from the things that you've known to be true and right. And it's left you wandering around in the dark. Or maybe you're dealing with the weight of guilt and shame in your own life from past mistakes. Could this be the season where you let the light in? I want to give you four, just some really practical ways that you can prepare your own heart this Christmas. First one is this, to make it a goal to attend church every week this season. To make it a goal. I know this year has been a a, kind of a weird year for church attendance, for people attending church regularly, but I want to just, I want to put it out there for Everyone to, to make it a priority to attend church, to gather together with believers, to be encouraged, to worship, to, to fellowship, to gather together and be encouraged this season. Secondly, make it a goal to read a section of Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke, you've, if you want to grab one of those scripture journals, this would be a great time to do that right after the service today. Grab one of these and spend some time reading through the scriptures. Third, uh, take time to pray regularly that God would search your own heart. 
to search your own heart. Pray the prayer of Psalm 139 where David says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God's light to shine in your own heart, that he would search it for the things that are filled with darkness and ask him to lead you in the way everlasting. And lastly, maybe just start a tradition that points to Jesus. We've got a lot of traditions, ones that really don't have a lot to do with Christ. And, and I'm okay with, you know, you want to go do the Christmas tree and the lights and the ornaments and the cookies and the, 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 the songs and all that kind of stuff. I'm okay with all that. But, but reclaim one of those traditions and make it center on Christ. Just a few ways that you can do that. Maybe you set up an advent calendar with your family. Um, and maybe you have a scripture reading in every little box, and, and you, you do it that way. That could be a really great tradition. Uh, maybe you just read parts of the Christmas story every night. Um, maybe you can sing some Christmas hymns at home. You don't need a full worship team or an organ or a piano to sing all those Christmas carols. You can do that right at home. And lastly, maybe you want to go through a Christmas Bible reading plan on the Bible app, right on your phone. Uh, that would be a great way to just keep Jesus f- the focus and the center of some of your Christi- Christmas traditions this year. So, firstly, prepare your heart. And secondly, prepare others. Prepare others. Maybe God has shown in your heart, and you know his goodness and his faithfulness. Could this be a season where you prepare the people around you for Jesus? Christmas is a time when most people uh, just are more likely to accept an invitation to church. It's something that's already maybe on their heart or on their mind. It's just kind of the spirit of the season. And so if you have an invite, I think all of our campuses today have invites for our Christmas Eve service. I would encourage you to give one of those out to a family member, a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor. The, the three things that you can do that, ways that you can invite, three things. One is to just pray for uh, those who really need Jesus in your life. Pray for the person who's close to you but far from the Lord. Um, just spend some time. A lot of you are already praying for them. We see them on the prayer sheet every single week. So continue to pray for those people who need Jesus in your life. Secondly, meet a need. If there's a financial need, if someone has come on a, on a hard time, you want to buy a gift, you want to make a good impression, just, just meet a need. Be generous with your resources. Release, what God, release some generosity to the people around you and meet a physical need in someone's life. And lastly, invite them to church. Grab an invitation and invite them to church. We've got invitations for our Christmas Eve service. It would be such a great opportunity for them to really experience the true meaning of Christmas this year. So church, as you make preparations for Christmas this year, and you see the Christmas lights around town, have hope that light shines best in the dark places. So get busy preparing the way for the light of the world. I invite all of our uh, worship teams up right now as we close in prayer. Father God, I thank you that you are the light and we have hope. We have a glimmer of hope even in the midst of all the darkness that we experience around us. So Lord, I pray first and foremost that you would shine brightly in our hearts as the church. 
Lord, that you would shine into the deepest, darkest places of our soul. That you'd reveal things to us that would cause us to, to just turn right back to you, Lord. And God, I pray that, that there would just be so much of your presence in us that it would overflow to the people around us. We would prepare others for the light of the world as well. Lord, we thank you for the truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers only. We would respond to the invitation that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.